Matthew chapter 3. So we've spent a few weeks getting through chapter 1 and chapter 2. And in that time in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we've spent a lot of time looking at God fulfilling His purpose and plan in Jesus. We saw that He has filled the promise to Abraham that the nations would be blessed through an offspring. We've seen that David would be given a son who would reign. We saw that Jesus was the promised one from Genesis 3. He is the one who would save His people from their sins. We saw that the plan and purpose of Jesus was walked out in chapter 2 as Joseph had to take his family here and there for the sake of the life of of Jesus. So we get to chapter 3 today, and there's a theme we've sort of just kind of bypassed in those first two chapters, something we will take up a bit today, and that is the theme of kingship, the theme of royalty. All throughout chapter 1 and chapter 2, Matthew is letting us know that Jesus is king. He's let us know by, as I said, saying that he is the fulfillment of the king that would rule David's eternal kingdom. And you remember the wise men came to Jerusalem seeking what? He who has been born king of the Jews. He who has been born king of the Jews. And so in Matthew chapter 3, we're introduced to a new player in God's redemptive plan, one who is to herald this new king. One who is to come before the king and the kingdom. Uh, In chapter 3, we are introduced to John the Baptist. We see more about this king and about this kingdom. Um, And as we think about this king and this kingdom, it's kind of interesting to think about the kings and kingdoms that are there already. We had talked about Herod. Herod the Great, the king of Judea. And and his rule that he had. And he gets his authority based off another king, uh, Caesar. He is uh, the emperor of Rome who rules over not just Judea, but most of the known world in this time. So as we look to what John the Baptist is proclaiming, that a kingdom is at hand, and therefore a king is coming, we see that... This is a world that is full of kings and kingdoms already. Now, I came across this inscription, and I probably lost it. No, I didn't. I came across this inscription. uh, About one of the kings of that time, right before Jesus was born, this was written about Caesar. Now, this just helps you to think about what is going on at this time. And we think our world, our country, the time that we live now is ungodly. Wait till you hear this. Since providence, which has ordered all things, is deeply interested in our lives. Now, this is written for the Romans. Has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and our descendants, that he might end war 
and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, surpassing all previous, not leaving any hope to posterity to pass what he has already done. And since the birthday of God, Augustus, was the beginning of the gospel for the world that came by reason of him. I, I don't have any words for that. How much of that, if I took out Augustus's name, should be given to Jesus? This is the world that John the Baptist is proclaiming that the kingdom is at hand. The king is to arrive. And so with that, we're going to turn to our text and um, we're going to use a little bit of the Old Testament to help us and a little bit of Luke's narrative because we're going we're gonna to talk about John and his identity and his mission today. And then next week, more of his message that he gives in verses 7 through um, 12. But today, on John and his identity and his mission. So in those days, in in verse 1 of chapter 3, John the Baptist came preaching. He came preaching. So let's get familiar with who this John the Baptist is. And while you've got your finger in Matthew 3, flip to Luke 1, so we can get Luke's account, give us a little bit more detail on John the Baptist and his identity. And this is all taking place around the time of Gabriel's announcement to Mary that a baby is to be born, the Savior of the world. Slightly before this, Gabriel attends a priest named Zechariah in the temple. If you look at chapter 1, starting in verse 11... And there appeared to him, Zechariah, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So Elizabeth had been barren and was in old age. In verse 14, And we will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. This is an extraordinary baby. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him, and the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is not an ordinary baby. Just as if we saw that Jesus was no ordinary baby. However, we must not equalize them. This is extraordinary, but he is not God. Christ is Jesus is God in the flesh. John is a man, but he's a prophet. Look at verse 39 through 40. 
In those days, Mary arose and went in haste into the hill country. So she's, she's um, carrying uh, Jesus into the hill country to the town in Jude, uh, Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, who was also pregnant. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. John was sent with a specific mission, and it's as if even in the womb, he realized his mission when he, became, when he came into the presence of the Lord. Now look what his father prophesies in 77, 76 and 77 of chapter 1. Just born, Zechariah, Luke 1, 76 and 77. Zechariah says these words, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare His way, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of sin. So we fast forward in time as we flip back to Matthew 3. We fast forward in time as we flip back to Matthew 3, and we find John doing exactly what his daddy said he was going to do. He is in the wilderness. He is in the wilderness of Judea preaching, preaching to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, make straight the path for the king. Now, his um, audience and his um, where he's preaching kind of are similar. A wilderness. Desolate, no direct pathway. He's preaching a, a sermon of repentance. He's preaching to the desolate hearts of the people of Judea to prepare the way of the Lord. He was heralding the good news of the kingdom of God. And this wasn't just a fulfillment of his dad's prophecy, but as you see in verse 3. For this is he who spoke, who has spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make path, make his path straight. And also a fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi, which we will look at shortly. So here we have John who has been prophesied to be a prophet. He has born to be a prophet. He speaks like a prophet. And we also see in verse 4, he dresses like a prophet. Verse 4, he says, John wore a, a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his diet, a humble one, and his food was locust and wild honey. See, this was a wardrobe thought of for a prophet. But specifically, if you go home and study 2 Kings, I not, don't remember the chapter, you will see this is actually a resemblance of Elijah, which we're going to hang on to that connection.
because we're going to get to that later in Matthew with John the Baptist and Elijah. Um, Knowing his mission, John was a humble man. Charles Spurgeon said this about John. He says, He was rough and stern, like Elijah. His garments betoken his simplicity, his sternness, and his self-denial. His food, the product of the desert where he dwelt, showed that he cared nothing for luxury. John the Baptist was a man who knew his purpose, he knew his mission, and his mission was Christ. Christ alone. My favorite, my favorite thing said about John the Baptist in the Gospels is in John 3. When people come to him and see his crowds and see all the excitement around John the Baptist, and they ask him who he is, and they go back and forth, and he is humbly admitting I am just one who has come before Him. And He says in this statement that I think we could all hold on to, He must increase, but I must decrease. This is what His mission was, to increase Christ. And in order to increase Christ to those who are around Him, He had to humble Himself to those who are around Him. Um, And because of this, You see results. You see godly spiritual results from a man who seeks to set forth Christ and in doing that, draws back himself in self-denial and humility. And the results you see in verses 5 and 6. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him and the river Jordan. So they were baptized, that is wonderful, but the true result of his mission and his preaching was their confession of their sin. This was the result of John the Baptist knowing his mission. And one thing I want us to always remember, specifically as Ozarks Bible Church, is that our mission is simple. It is very simple. We must be seeking to set forth Christ. We must always be seeking to set forth Christ. And I know that statement kind of seems incomplete. So where are we to set forth Christ? Or when are we to set forth Christ? To whom are we to set forth Christ? I think by leaving it Incomplete makes the statement always, everywhere, to everyone. We are living to set forth Christ. This is not just John's mission, but it should be our mission individually and collectively as Ozarks Bible Church. Now, to segue into the mission, to take a little bit more and dissect it, what he was doing, why he was sent, Well, it's really obvious, it says, he's there to prepare the way of the Lord. I'll just be honest. I've always been confused by this. I always have. Because I'm thinking, okay, this is the Lord. He doesn't need anyone to prepare anything for him. Why does he need someone? And okay, yes, he is the king. I get it. 
you know, we can have a proclamation the king is coming, but Jesus isn't into pomp and circumstance. He doesn't need the red carpet. He doesn't need to be everyone to know that he's on the way. Why? Why does God, obviously, 400 and 1,000 years before he sends John the Baptist, says he's going to send John the Baptist? Why? Well, usually when you... Let me say this. It's good to ask questions. Young people, it's good to ask questions. That's okay. It's biblical to seek discernment in what you're reading. But let me warn you. Look for your answer in Scripture. Usually the answer to your question will lie a few verses before, maybe a few verses after. Sometimes you've got to switch testaments to find the answer. And in this case, we do. We can turn to Malachi, and let us all turn to Malachi. And if, as you turn to Malachi, just turn to the left a few pages, and you'll see that Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament canon. And it's no coincidence that those who arranged the canon of the Old Testament put Malachi last, because it is known to be the last words written by a prophet before John the Baptist. So keep that in mind as well. Malachi, we look, we're going to focus on chapter 3, or the end of chapter 2, chapter 3, a little and well, in chapter 4. But I have to help you understand what's happening in chapter 2, well, and in chapter 1. And look at chapter 2, he says, My heading for Luke or Malachi chapter 2 says, The Lord rebukes the priests. He says, And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it in your heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offsprings, and you shall be taken away with it. That is intensely disturbing. That is the judgment of God, specifically on the priests, on the Levites. You look at verses 10 and 11, it's not just to the Levites, the priests. Have we not all one Father? Has not God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. Now, lastly, verse 17 and 18. Excuse me, verse, just verse 17. This is right before Malachi makes the prophecy, before God declares He will send someone that we know to be John the Baptist. Verse 17, he says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, How have we wearied Him? By saying... 
Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. And did you hear what I just read? They, Judah, said about God, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. He finds delight in them. That is a lie. That is mocking Yahweh. And look what they say. Or they ask, where is the God of justice? Mockery of their God, Yahweh. So, with that in mind, we get to chapter 3, verse 1. God speaks. He responds. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek... Remember, they asked, where is the God of justice? He says, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Sounds great, God's coming. Look at verse 2. But who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and the fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify and purifier of the silver. And He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Do you know how we refine metal? With fire. This is not a good thing that God is proposing that is about to happen to these people. Who can endure? Who can stand when He appears? He says, you want to know where I am? Guess what? I am coming. And He's coming in Jesus Christ. That's what we've read about in chapter 1 and chapter 2. That God is sending his son, that he is coming to dwell with man. Now look at verse chapter 4, verse 1. This is a, a continuation of what he is telling them. Sorry, we're still in Malachi. Chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be like stubble. Now I want you to put that in your back pocket for next week. Lord willing, if we get to finish Matthew chapter 3, this portion with John the Baptist, we're going to have to rethink about this idea of an oven and stubble being burnt. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch, saying the Lord will come in judgment and they will not exist upon that judgment. There will be nothing left. So why does he begin chapter 3 verse 1? By telling us, by telling them that he is to send a messenger that will prepare the way before me. So I want to tell you a story, but I don't want any of you children to do this, okay? 
I remember in high school, when the teacher would walk out, that would give us reason to have fun, right? (laughs) To do what we wanted to do. But what was the best thing to do before you did that? To pick someone to either stand at the door or to peek outside the door around the hall. So when the teacher comes, you're not caught shooting rubber bands at each other or whatever it is you might be doing. Because guess what? Here's why we don't do this. Because you are doing wrong. You are finding a way to do wrong and feel okay about it because you don't want to get caught. This is kind of what God's doing, but for the sake of their eternal life. He says, I'm coming back to the room. Don't get caught doing what you should not be doing. I'm coming and it will be sudden, but I send a messenger before me. I send you an opportunity of grace to prepare for me to come. He isn't... John the Baptist doesn't show up on the scene just to let everyone know that something's happening. He's giving them an opportunity to change their hearts. He's giving them an opportunity for salvation. Look at verse 3. I'm sorry, still in chapter 4 of Malachi, verse 2. With judgment, Jesus also brings salvation. And John came to declare both judgment and salvation that was coming with Jesus. So, if you are an evildoer, arrogant, you will burn, you will be set ablaze, there will be nothing left of you. Verse 2, But for you who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, God is sending John as a means of grace to prepare their hearts for the coming of Christ. And what does he say? He tells them to repent. He tells them to repent. As I said, we're going to dig more into what repentance looks like tonight, Lord willing. But simply, I just want to state it in the way that it's used in this context in Matthew chapter 3. To have a change of mind. To change your mind about God. Notice, he says, but to you who fear my name. John comes preaching repentance, preaching the kingdom is near. Fear the Lord. Change your mind. You live in sin. You have made yourselves kings. You have looked to the kings of Caesar and Judah and Herod. You have turned from my ways. 
You have not remembered my commands and statutes that were given to you as Moses, as Malachi says to them at the end of chapter 4, remember these things. Fear the Lord. Because when you fear the Lord, you hate your sin. You see what your sin is before a holy God. Repent, because He is coming. He is a sign. He is a warning. John is a means of grace that they may be prepared within their hearts. As we close, I want to look at two passages in Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 2. Please keep in mind as we conclude, we will be turning to the Lord's table this morning. So let us be preparing our hearts and minds. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. As we think about the kindness of God, to send John the Baptist to prepare them for his arrival. We can look past. We can look past just that moment, but also see the kindness of God that you all receive, even in sitting here today and hearing the word of God. The kindness, the opportunity to do as John has said and to repent, to fear the Lord. Now, look what. The purpose of God's kindness is and the result of not responding rightly to His kindness? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and the forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and penitent heart, meaning you're unwilling to repent. You're unwilling to fear the Lord, to see Him as holy and your sin as wicked, and to turn and change your mind. You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The horrible destruction that God promises Judah and Malachi... And you don't have to turn there, but I just want to read the last line of what it says. The horrible judgment and wrath that God promises Judah if they do not heed so that I will not come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So that I will not destroy you that judgment and righteous that judgment and wrath goes beyond Israel and Judah to all to all who will not repent and turn to Christ neither Jew nor Greek so i i ask and proclaim and i to turn to the lord 
change your mind. To not be set up for the destruction of the judgment of God. And don't sit in a pew and think, well, that's not fair. It is the most fair thing in this world. The righteous judgment of God. Do not scoff at it. Do not take it lightly. But know that God has been kind to each and every one of you to delay that judgment. Believer, unbeliever, He's kind and hoping that you will repent. I look at Romans 12, verse 3. And this is how we will conclude this morning. Romans 12. Um, just look at verse 2. Now the changing of one's mind and repentance is not a one-time thing. You can't say one day I fear the Lord and then not think about it again. You cannot say I've turned to Christ for forgiveness and yet not continually do it daily. And Paul gives us an understanding about changing our mind continually. As Christians, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Every day, every day we have an opportunity to serve the King of Kings, or something else. Every day, you are presented with that opportunity. And it may be in simple decisions. It may be in interactions with your siblings. It may be in how you approach your neighbor. It may be in if you pray that morning. You have the opportunity to either serve the Lord or serve the ruler of this world. And the only chance that you have to have discernment to do and serve the right way is by the continual renewal of your mind. If you say, I know Jesus and I don't need to know anything more, you will surely fall. You will stumble. Every opportunity that is put before you, if you are not seeking to know and discern the will of God, to have a change of mind every day, you will fail. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I said this Sunday night, the words of God is how that happens. Privately, on your own, seek Him. As a family, Seek Him. As a corporate body, we seek Him to be transformed day by day from one degree of glory to another for the sake of Him and His kingdom. 
Don't take, oh, I've got to know a lot, so I know a lot. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ for His glory, for His kingdom, that we may love one another the way Christ has loved us. This is an opportunity to even do that. To remember, to consider, to remind ourselves of what Christ has done and to be transformed just by coming and partaking together and remembering what Christ has done. That as He comes in righteous judgment, He also brings salvation. And He has brought it to us and we we must... We must not take it for granted. So with that in mind, we'll turn to the Lord in prayer and we will turn to the table. Uh, we will do an individual family at a time. Uh, Brother Dan will come up and give instructions and then we will partake together once we have received the elements. Let's pray. Father, we thank you seems as if our words just aren't enough. We thank You for the grace of Your... the sending of Your Son. We give thanks for the kindness and the patience that You have in bearing with our faithlessness, our foolishness. And I just pray that You will grow us in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that each of us will take the day to seek to set forth Christ before our own lives, before the lives of others, that we may be about the mission of John, that Christ will increase and that we will decrease. Bless our time as we partake together and as we sing and praise Your name. We ask this. In Christ's name for His sake. Amen. Now this table is set aside. It is set apart for those who are in Christ. For those who have had a change of mind and see God as the only true God. And Jesus Christ as the one whom He has sent. And while the table, if that is not you, is not available to you today, Jesus Christ is. And so I call you to turn to Him, to trust in Him. And if you have a question about that, if you want to have a conversation with me, please, I'm available. But with that said, uh, Brother Dan...